Good morning, Wild Street. It's great to be with you this morning and uh, really great to be able to start this new series uh, that we're just commencing on the back of the book of Ephesians, which has been so encouraging to look at God's plan for our world. Uh, Nathan has done a great job in setting it up. Uh, he's just reminded us, hasn't he, that uh, there is simply no escaping the reality that our world is obsessed by sex. Uh, now, this is by no means an easy topic to be talking about. But I'm glad to be talking about it because talk about it we must. Uh, because our world's obsession has and is leading to a great confusion. I think it's fair to say that it's also leading to unfathomable human grief, pain and suffering. So how do you start a series like this? You know, I'm well aware uh, that it's very easy to be misheard or misunderstood. It's easy to kind of attribute motives to the speaker or to have a, a blanket view of the context from which I speak within Christianity. You may already have your defences up. I hope you will lower them for a bit. It's easy to assume that because I speak as a Christian from the Bible's teaching, I'll be all negative about sex. I hope that's not the case at all. In fact, far from it. Uh, one of the good things about Christianity is that it reminds us that we should always come from a position of humility, not pride or arrogance. I mean, the Bible reminds me that I'm a sinner, both sexually and otherwise. In fact, the Bible teaches that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. But we have a loving, a merciful and gracious God who forgives and restores. He is a God who wants to do us good. You know, Christians, the church... We're not and have never been sexually pure. Our history is marked by our sexual failings that are common to all society. And sometimes our world thinks that Christians are bigots. Can I just say that we should never be that? And we certainly have no grounds to be. But that doesn't mean that what God has to teach, uh, teach us about human sexuality shouldn't be taught. And so I hope that you will uh, stick with us as we try to honestly and openly explain God's wonderful plan and purposes for human sexuality that are for our flourishing. Though, of course, we will undoubtedly fail to do it the justice that it deserves. Uh, and can I just say one other thing? I mean, all of us will be coming to this series from different situations and circumstances. Single, married, happily or otherwise divorced, widowed, living alone or with others. You know, our particular circumstances can make it hard for us to hear things. But God is the one who speaks to us about these things. And his word to us is always good and for our good. He is our ultimate relationship, the perfect and never-ending relationship of love and faithfulness. And so let's, as we begin... Ask God to help us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning for the wonderful privilege of being known and loved by the God who created us. Thank you, Lord God, that you are also the God who through your son Jesus has redeemed us and made us your friends. Father, as we come to this uh, you know, complex and uh, challenging issue today and over the next few weeks, we pray, Lord God, that you would give us great wisdom sensitivity in handling it as we handle your word and speak your truths to each other. 
that might encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our world is obsessed with sex. Uh, Rarely a day passes without a headline like one of these appearing on my phone's news feed. You can see them there on the screen. This is just the last couple of weeks. Uh, Lighten up. Affairs don't need to end a marriage. Uh, Or how my bi-curiosity improved my marriage. Or just this week, the couple's turning their back on monogamy and making it work. You know, we, we take it for granted that sex shouldn't be restricted to marriage. I mean, the Olympics, I think, that we've just been through illustrates the point very well. I mean, since the 1980s, organisers have ordered thousands of condoms so athletes can safely hook up. And to be specific, uh, these last games, the Japanese organisers ordered 160,000 condoms to be handed out to athletes in the Olympic Village. The only problem, of course, was COVID-19. And so the Olympic authorities urged them to only use them within their particular sport bubble. So sex with whoever you want, that's okay. Just be careful not to spread COVID. You know, one woman uh, contacted her boyfriend in the Olympic Village uh, over these last few weeks and asked him what he was up to. And he sent her a photo of the TV on and said he was just kind of hanging out with the boys watching the events. The problem was that in the photo was the reflection of a woman's bare legs on the lounge. Now, well-known and respected uh, social researcher Hugh Mackay makes the point in his book that you can see there, Right and Wrong, How to Decide for Yourself. He makes this point with regard to sex. He says, being faithful to a sexual partner may simply mean being faithful to yourself, to your own sense of what you believe. Do what's right for you be honest with yourself. According to Hugh, whatever feels good is fine, just as long as you're honest about it and true to yourself. No wonder there's so much confusion about sex. And the sexual revolution of the 60s told us that uh, sex was just a natural bodily urge, not unlike eating or drinking or even going to the toilet that it was actually just natural to satisfy it and that it was actually even damaging not to do so. You know, we've been told to do whatever we want with whomever we want, just stay safe. You know, the generation that promoted freedom of sexual expression as a wonderful breakthrough are now finding themselves in the law courts being prosecuted for what they thought were their expressions of sexual freedom. And there have been and continues to be great damage done through what was considered sexual liberation and freedom. However, can I just say, it is still a very emotive issue to suggest to our world that there is some sort of objective morality which may challenge how people choose to behave. My body, my choice. But what is it that we really want from sex? What is good sex? Now, let me just read you a a little snippet from this book, Pure Sex, uh, from Tony Payne. Uh, It suggests an answer to that question. Let me just read it to you. He says, Is it possible that what we really want is a relationship not simply of physical nakedness and pleasure, but of deep personal nakedness as well? A partner before whom we can be totally open. Someone who can accept us and love us and desire us as we are. 
a relationship of honesty and love where satisfying sex springs not, from a, not only from a deep acceptance of each other, but an ongoing desire to please the other person. Is this not what we dream of? We long for a situation in which we are completely at one with another person and where each partner is as much or more concerned with the other person's pleasure as their own, where the excitement and pleasure the other person is receiving gives us pleasure as well. Each one serving and pleasuring the other, each one worshipping the other's body. We would want this sort of relationship to go on for a long time and to grow in intimacy and mutual pleasure as each learns to please the other even more. And there's something rich and beautiful about that description of sexuality. But probably, I think what many would find surprising is that it's the vision that we get from the Bible. Uh, the Bible's view of love and relationship and sexuality and marriage is beautiful. So while there are many who would want to deride Christianity and the Bible's view of love, sex and marriage for its negativity, the reality is that the Bible's view is overwhelmingly positive. And so let's begin this series on good sex by considering what the Bible teaches on this very important issue. And what I hope we see very clearly is that God's standards are good, very good, in fact. And not just for society as a whole, but for each and every individual as well. So let's start at the beginning, uh, because the opening chapters of the Bible speak of the creation of the world including the creation of humanity and sex. And Danica has uh, wonderfully already read for us, but let me, let's pick it up again at Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. Let me read for you. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the, on the earth. And then skip down a few verses to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, so far in Genesis 1, as God has brought his world into being, each stage has been described as good. But here, for the very first time, something is described as very good. Man, created in the image of God as male and female, to rule over God's good creation. Now, notice that human beings are created as sexual beings right at the centre of God's good creation. And there's a reason for that. I mean, our sexuality is not kind of some arbitrary design feature. It has a purpose. In fact, God creates sexuality with some clear purposes in mind. Uh, we see the first of, the, of them here in this passage, that we would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that we would produce children and that we would rule over God's good creation. That sex is not an end in itself, but actually has a God-given purpose would be laughable uh, to many people today. The fact that uh, children are a product of sex is for many an unfortunate consequence to be avoided rather than God's intended purpose. There's no way of simply seeing children as a, a byproduct of sex. Rather, they're a significant part of God's good purpose in making us as sexual beings, as male and female. Children are God's blessing. 
a network of relationships to enjoy, to feel God's creation with those who are to be rulers under God over his creation. And so sex is a good gift of God. It's the good gift of his created order. But there's also a a second and equally important purpose of sex. And that is that sex is for marriage. It's fundamental, if you like, to the marriage bond, a deep personal union between a man and a woman. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. God brings the woman to the man and look at his response there in verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Notice the sheer exhilaration and delight as man and woman come together. Here is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's an expression, uh, many say, of the excitement of sexual pleasure in marriage. Look at the next verse, verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Notice here that marriage is a union between one man and one woman. It's public in that they they leave their parents and come together as a new family. It's permanent and physical, that is, in their sexual union, they become one flesh. Uh, Tony Payne, in his book, puts it this way. He says, In the paradise of Eden, before they sinned, God creates man and woman as sexual beings who enjoy sexual union as the natural, healthy expression of their naked, married intimacy. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed, we read in verse 25. It's a beautiful picture of the intimacy and joy of sex within marriage just as God intended. Sex is essential. It's the bond that unites them here. Sex is powerful in joining people together, two separate beings becoming one flesh, which is why when a a sexual relationship ends, we feel torn apart. It's like two pieces of paper glued together together that when they are torn apart, both sides are damaged. We're not made to be torn apart from one another over and over again after sexual union. It causes great damage. But that's not to say that sex isn't good. And sex is good. It's very good. The good gift of a good creator for our good. Now, unfortunately, too many people have been led to believe that Christians think sex is bad or that God is anti-sex. But actually nothing could be further from the truth. It's actually quite a bizarre view, really, because it was God who created us as physical sexual beings. And as uh, many commentators have noted, the first command of the Bible is basically go and have sex. Chapter 1, verse 28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So God is hugely pro-sex. But what people object to is, the purpose for which God has created sex. According to God, the only safe and good place for sexual expression is in the covenant of marriage, within the binding commitment of one man and one woman for a lifetime where children are born and nurtured. See, the purpose of intimacy and the pleasure of sex is to bind husband and wife together 
Sex is not a casual or neutral bodily function like eating breakfast or doing some exercise. It's not for the casual hookup or the one-night stand or even the genuine dating relationship. It's for marriage. You know, I'm obviously aware that uh, of how outdated that view of sex now is in our current cultural climate. It's hard to imagine, isn't it, that only a few decades ago it was the dominant view. How far we've actually moved away from that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how we've got to where we are next week. Uh, but for now, I want us to see uh, that not only is sex God's idea, but that it's a central feature in his good creation purposes. God's framework for the expression of our sexuality within the covenant of marriage is also a part of his great goodness towards us. Because God created sex, he understands its nature and its power. And so he's the one, in fact, he's the only one, who can and should determine where sex is to take place. See, having made us as complementary sexual beings, as men and as women, God institutes marriage as the proper context or framework to express our sexuality. The man and woman are made for one another. Uh, many will say that God's view of sex is outdated. But no, what we need to see is that it's perfect. It's God's perfect design for every age. Uh, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10, Jesus quotes Genesis 1 and 2. And he makes it very clear that this view of sex and marriage is for every single age. And so if that's the case, that sex is for marriage, the next question then is, what is marriage for? That is, what is the purpose of marriage? As we'll see, marriage is for service in uh, his excellent little book on marriage, Married for God, uh, Christopher Ash coins the phrase, sex in the service of God. He makes the point uh, that while marriage can fill all kinds of functions, ultimately, he says, marriage is for service. Now, unfortunately, I think just as sex has been divorced from marriage as its purpose, well, so has marriage been divorced from its purpose which is to serve God. And just cast your eyes back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. See what he says there. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And this passage is not saying that God made woman to deal with man's loneliness, as this passage has you know, sometimes been misread. The context here, as we see in verse 15 of chapter 2, is God's commissioning of the man to work the garden and take care of it, that is, to serve God in his world. And so the issue in verse 18 is not about loneliness. Rather, it's not good for man to be alone because he's not competent by himself. That is, he's not able by himself to rule over God's creation as God intended. For that, he needed a helper fit for task. Now, the idea of helper here actually means opposite but complementary. Only as man and woman together do we bear the image of God as rulers over his creation. That's what marriage is about and what sex in marriage is about. 
And that's why this pitting of the sexes against one another that is so commonplace today is just so destructive. Men and women are equal, together made in the image of God. They are different, distinguished in their sexuality as male and female. And they are complementary beings who are able to unite together as one flesh through their God-given sexual union in marriage. See, we're not meant to be in competition with one another. We need one another if we are to serve God's purpose for us in this world. As one writer put it, he said, the purpose of intimacy and the pleasure of sex is to bond husband and wife together so that they may go out together and serve the Lord in the distinctive way that a married couple are able to do. The purpose in the end is for service. Now, can I say that God isn't trying to stop our joy or put us to the test in some way? And God actually wants our experience of sex to be the best that it can be. The expression of our sexuality was never meant to be self-serving. I mean, self-serving sex is self-destructive sex. Adultery in the Bible is the prime example. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32, it says this. It says, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. It seems like it'll be the path to happiness and enjoyment and fulfilment, but actually it's the path to destruction and great grief and damage. In fact, all self-serving sex is damaging in some way. And whether pornography or the one-night stand or prostitution, premarital petting. But what we need to first hear is that the Bible regards sex as a delightful part of his good creation. It's a good gift to be received and enjoyed. But because of its powerful effects and the damaging consequences of its misuse, we must be very careful to respect God's purposes and treat it with great care. Okay, well, before I bring this to a close, let me just say something to those who are single, because I'm, I'm sure it may feel like all the advantages are in the married person's corner here. But I want to say that that's not what the Bible teaches. You mustn't think that you've arrived when you're married. Uh, marriage is a, is a gift of God, sure, with unique joys, opportunities for service, but also with unique challenges and trials. And singleness is a gift of God with unique joys and opportunities for service, but also with unique challenges and trials. And marriage and singleness are both gifts with a purpose. And we see, we'll see more of these things later in the series, but if we think we need to experience sex to be truly fulfilled, as our culture keeps shouting at us, then we'll be believing the world's lie. God has not given us sex for our own personal fulfilment. It's not an essential ingredient for our happiness. And Jesus, remember, himself, the one who was most fully human that ever lived, the most fulfilled person that ever lived, and yet Jesus never engaged in sexual activity. So we shouldn't idolise sex or marriage as an end in itself. The other thing I think to see here is that marriage isn't the solution for loneliness. It's important that we don't read Adam's aloneness as loneliness here. I mean, the sad reality is that there are many lonely married people. God's answer to loneliness is relationship. 
fellowship and friendship, first with God and then with others. And the Apostle John draws this out in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Let me just read a bit of it. He says there, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God has been manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, this passage speaks beautifully about God's deep and abiding love and relationship with us. And it speaks, can I say, of the necessity of relationship with others. Now, today may have led us to feel the ways in which we have failed God, uh, the way we have failed others in our own sexual failings. I mean, none of us are free from sin. In fact, it's fair to say that none of us are free from sexual sin of some form. Remember that Jesus himself equated the lust of our hearts after another person as virtually the same as adultery. Sexual sin, like all sin, begins first in our hearts and minds. But God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, whatever that sin might be. And he welcomes us into a deeply loving friendship with himself. And this passage that we've just read is all about that wonderful relationship between God and us. And then out of that, friendship between human beings, especially in the church family. See, marriage is not the ultimate relationship. It's just a picture of the ultimate relationship, which is the marriage of Jesus and the church. We've seen that through Ephesians, haven't we? See, here's God's answer to loneliness, whether single or married. Well, next week we're going to be delving into a little more about how sex has influenced and impacted our culture. Weeks three and four will be very much more practical in their approach. But for now, I hope that what we've seen today is that God has created us as sexual beings, and that's a good thing. And that whether or not we exercise that sexual potential in the covenant of marriage or out of godliness, refrain from doing so. The fact that we are sexual beings is something to be celebrated. It's how God has created us. His creatures who've been wonderfully made as male and female together as the image of God. Well, friends, um, uh, we've already said there's not a Q&A today, although there will be next week. Uh, if you've got questions, please write them in the Connect card. But as we um, come to the end of this talk this morning and reflecting on these particular passages... Uh, there may be all kinds of feelings going on for us as we reflect on it. Uh, we are those whom God loves dearly. And he calls us to come before him with whatever it is. I'm going to spend a moment now leading us in prayer, and particularly pray, prayer of confession, knowing that all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So I invite you to join me as I lead us in prayer together now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for creating us in your image as male and female to rule your world under you. 
Thank you for your good and wise purposes for sex and for marriage, particularly in a world of such confusion and pain. Father, we confess that we have not always lived up to your loving and good purposes for us. We've all sinned and fallen short of your glory, whether married or single. But in your mercy, you have washed us from our sins and made us clean in your sight. Yet we still fail to love you as we should, serve you as we ought. Father, we humbly admit that we need your help. Forgive us our sins and renew us by your grace so that we may continue to grow as members of Christ, in whom alone is our salvation. Amen.